Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Explain It To Me. I almost said Com Chatter because I just recorded one of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the show where we have other people explain things that aren't Star Wars to us. Uh, as With me, as always, is uh, Molly and Ashton. But today we're also joined by, by our very first guest. Uh, you know him from Nerdist Heroes Reforged. He's been hosting streaming events for Amazon Prime. He's so hot right now. He's also one of the first Inner Geekdom champions in the Schmodown. Hector Navarro, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, everybody. This is so exciting. I can't wait to talk about this show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's what I want to get from you first. Uh, we've been talking about it amongst ourselves for three weeks, but what's your take on WandaVision so far? Um, so far, okay, there's, there's, there's two... There's two versions of Hector anytime uh, Hector gets asked this question. I don't normally talk in the third person. There's two versions. There's the, <laughs> there's, there's the version of like, okay, you're an adult. You're watching a TV show. You know, Try to look at it for like, is it well-written? Is it well-directed? How does it work as a TV show compared to other TV shows? Same goes for when I talk about movies and stuff. And then there's the version of Hector that's like, okay, you've loved Marvel since you were five years old. How does How does this thing appease that side of you? On the on the I've been a fan forever side, uh, loving the show because it is exploring some characters that I love. I love the vision so much from comic books. I love that he was introduced in. Um, it, I love that they brought in Paul Bettany to play him. I've just every decision they've made with like with how they were going to depict this character. Loved it. Love Scarlet Witch as well. And even though she's got some sort of bumps and some some a little bit of a history of criticism being a female superhero character in the world of superheroes. I don't know if you guys know this. It's mostly male dominated. I don't know if you're aware. What? Yes. So <laughs> a lot of the times with the, you know, decades and decades and decades of mostly men, writers and artists, mostly working on male characters, mostly for a male audience, you have these great standout characters like Scarlet Witch or like Storm or She-Hulk or Wonder Woman or whoever these characters are that they have a lot of attention put on them because they are, oftentimes rarer than other male superheroes. And oftentimes, you know, they'll get fair criticism and, and scrutiny. And so Scarlet Witch has had a couple of bumps in her story, but overall her comic book version is very much beloved and, and fans of every age and every gender really love this character. And I've mostly liked what they've done with her in the movies as well. My main thing has been, you know, are you going to be able to get to in the MCU the the cool and weird offbeat stories that the comic books can afford to do uh you are you are you going to have time for that kind of stuff in these big avengers movies or captain america crossover movies and the answer so far was no but i've still really liked elizabeth olsen and paul bettany and what they've what they have been able to do so on the marvel side here comes wandavision and five-year-old hector is like 
this I, this is better than I ever could have hoped. This is so cool that they're able to do this with this with these side characters that have not been given their due yet. On the TV side, I've been really impressed with the first three episodes with how close it is to that sitcom style, which I which I it's so embedded in TV viewers brains that it's I almost like forgot what some of that stuff was from watching reruns because I don't have normal cable anymore we're all streaming and stuff so it's like so so it's been this really impressive and learning about how they made the show and the episodes themselves were really charming and really still weird and tragic that little undercurrent and then episode four comes out and I'm like yeah this is big blockbuster you know superhero movie making it feels like a really great sci-fi show where it still hasn't given you all the answers but enough where you're like okay this is what's going on and have i've just been really really impressed with the show so far so to answer both sides of hector 10 out of 10 across the board (laughs) like really really (laughs) loving it so far super digging it yeah that that's very similar to how i have to approach star wars as well i feel is like i go see a movie and the first time i feel like i'm just being critical. And then the second time is like when kid Alex gets to go mm. see it and see if he mm. likes it. <laughs> I, I really try to, to as much as you're right. That's what it's like. But I really try as much as I can to do it the opposite way where I really try to be like, first time I'm watching like a Marvel movie or a big superhero mm-hmm. thing to try to ask the five-year-old to come out and be like, how are you feeling about this, man? Like, like this is for you. How do you feel about it? And then on the second watch, then look at like, okay, story-wise, you know, okay, I can see what they're trying to do and the plot points and all this other stuff. So, but you can't help it. You can't help, uh, I can't help being a man in my 30s when I'm watching this stuff. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's who I am, so. (laughs) What's your history been with these characters? Like uh, you mentioned Loving Vision growing up. So is that from back in the comic days? Oh, yes. Uh, Marvel has had, a handful of good movies since before 2008. I'm talking some Spider-Man movies. I really like the Ang Lee Hulk movie. Uh, <laughs> there's, the, you know, just like handfuls of stuff here, along with mostly kind of generic, like, oh, they, now they have Ghost Rider, and oh, here's Ben Affleck's Daredevil, and stuff that's really hit and miss and a mixed bag. So, but I still grew up, you know, I was in high school when the first Spider-Man came out. You know, I was in middle school when the first X-Men came out. So it was like, I had up to that point lived my entire life loving this world. And finally, you know, I'm, I'm really spoiled. Finally, when I'm in middle school, the movies start to come out and I feel vindicated in my love. I feel I feel validated. I feel like, yes, the thing I invested in since I was a kid and still loved beyond the point where my friends stopped watching the cartoon shows or didn't read comic books or whatever. Um and I was still into in, in middle school and high school and reading the comic books that were coming out then. Here comes Hollywood and here comes big productions and they're tapping into why these stories are so great and why these characters are so great and everybody around the world can share. The opening weekend for the first Spider-Man movie was a was a revelatory weekend for me because I went to go see it. I, you know, the, It's an indescribable feeling sitting there in the theater and having the, the opening credits roll and, and what I was feeling and what I was going through my head. And then the Monday at school, in high school, I went back to math class, and there were two girls behind me talking about Peter Parker and Mary Jane. And I was like, the world has changed. The world has changed because everybody and people who would normally never be um, into the geeky stuff that I was into with comic books and video games and cartoons or whatever are talking about these characters like they're legit movie characters, like they're popular culture icons, you know, and – and uh, I've I just have 
all that stuff really has, because I've also been a fan of movies since I was a kid, obviously. I've loved Jurassic Park, and I loved Star Wars, and I love all this stuff. And so that has only really strengthened my love of the source material, like comic books. And, you know, so it's it's been as really cool. Um, I've been super, super lucky that, like, yeah, the thing I did invest in <laughs> has become really popular so that I could basically make a living off of can you appear on this thing to talk about this nerdy thing you know can you i yeah. i worked for a few years in los angeles at a voice acting agency and it was a great job and I had great bosses and i remember part of the job was like they would get an audition for a character in a cartoon show and part of the job was like we have to figure out which of our voice acting clients can can fit for this character so my boss would be like, Hector, we just got this audition, Winter Soldier. Do you know what this is? And I'd be like, I know everything about that character. Yes. <laughs> How can I help? You know, like they're like, what is it? What's the character like? They gave us some specs, but like, do you have any other insight? And and so it's been really uh, fun to be able to, to as an adult, talk about the stuff that I love and and still love to this day, but also talk about it in like a you know, in like a critical but loving way, <laughs> talking about comic book history. And, and, um, I mean, my history, like I said, is I, I've been into this stuff since I was little. I first got into it with cartoon shows like Spider Man and like Batman, the animated series. Those are great gateway drugs into these huge, complicated, long lived worlds. And then I was a, as a kid, I went to the library and found a book that was like, here's a book on the history of Marvel Comics. Here's a book on the history of DC Comics, the companies and the people who work there. So I knew who Stan Lee and Jack Kirby was and, and John Romita and all these people that had worked on this, on this stuff in like the sixties and seventies. And here I am in the nineties. And it's like, I felt like I knew about some of these creators and some of the behind the scenes before a lot of other people, my age, like tapped into that and studied it and learned about it and everything. So, um, I've just been, just been into it for a real long time, Alex, Molly and Ashton. <laughs> Believe you me. <laughs> Did So, did middle school you ever even fathom the idea that some of the biggest blockbuster movies these days would be these huge comic book movies? I think I think that the answer is yes and no. I think no because I could not imagine that they would be taking they would be taken as seriously, but I also want to say yes because I had grown up as a kid and I, uh, I just absorbed and I worshiped movies. Jurassic Park like changed my life. Like I, I, I loved going to the movies and I love learning about them and studying them. And I, even as a kid, I felt like, you know, and not to slam some great movies that came out before I was born. And when I was growing up, things like Superman, the movie by Richard Donner, which is great. Or like the Tim Burton Batman movies and the sequels. But I remember as a kid in the nineties going honestly, and I'm not trying to, give myself any clout or try to prove I'm some kind of like, you know, real nerdy nerd. I'm not, but I promise you, I would think to myself, why hasn't Warner brothers made wonder woman or the flash or green lantern? Let's go. Let's get to the justice league. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did feel as a kid, there's so much cinematic potential because if there was already a Superman movie and a Batman movie, and there was already a Hulk TV show in the seventies. And there was already, you know, if, 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 if big movie making and big budget, like storytelling was already focusing on, well, we're going to adapt this really popular Michael Crichton book. And we're going to adapt, you know, the Godfather novel, which is a huge seller or jaws or whatever, like Hollywood was already adapting novels and novels back in the day. And our, and in our parents' generation, like those were the big, uh, pop culture events that were happening too. like a big book would come out and people would 
focus on it and give it a bunch of a bunch of attention. So to answer your question, Molly, I do remember my kid brain trying to sync up with like movie maker brain and being like, but they can make a Spider-Man movie and it could be so good. They -hmm. could make an X-Men. Oh my gosh. And if they crossed over and then fantastic four and then Hulk and all this other stuff. And, and I think especially because when, as we were all coming up, special effects became so much more sophisticated, you know, and we got through some of those growing pains of like, the first couple mummy movies where CG was new and they were like, check out the rock. And we were like, okay, it's ugly, but okay. Scorpion right on it's potential, potential. And so as soon as CG started to become more often utilized in, in these big movies and stuff like the matrix and everything, I, I remember as a kid just being like, man, they're all there. They're all ready to get adapted and played by great actor. When I was a kid, I cast Matt Damon as captain America after I had seen Saving Private Ryan, you know, I was a big Spielberg kid, went to go see Saving Private Ryan. And I was like, they can just do this again, but with a guy in a blue costume running across the field, there's your movie. Like I, <laughs> I, you know, you know, fan casting of, I remember Wizard Magazine used to do that all the time, which was really, really fun. The, the, this great comic book industry magazine, and they would have whole pages in there where they're like, okay, here's who we would cast as, you know, the Avengers. And they'd have Brad Pitt as Thor. This is all stuff that people were doing in the 90s before message boards, but then also as soon as the internet became what it was. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. I don't mean to insult the rock scorpion. I'm looking at the comments, but uh, <laughs> you know, we've gotten a little bit better. <laughs> Thanos was pretty good. <laughs> the rock scorpion, that, that was a, that was a leap of faith they took and you know, they tried their best mm-hmm. with what I they I remember liking it. I think I was young <laughs> enough, but I was like, this is dope. This is cool. the future. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, they can do Hulk now. Okay. They can do the thing. They can do the Hulk. Let's go. We got these big, you know, characters. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I think it's time to start talking about the episode itself. Um, Spoilers are ahead. I assume you know that if you're here. Uh, But I I thought this kicked off really cool with the blip happening. Uh, How did everyone feel about that scene? It was, it was like, so chaotic in the way that you think it would be when people just start showing back up. Uh, and I loved that it was in the, in the, in a hospital because that makes it just seem even more chaotic. Um, uh, yeah. I loved how this opened and just seeing her just freaking out and uh, you know, where's, where's my mom. Uh, she recognizes the doctor. I, <laughs> I loved when she like ran into a guy that just kind of blipped in front oh. of her. And I was like, what is happening? Oh, it was, it was nuts. Yeah. I thought it was really cool getting to see a little more detail with that too. Cause like in far from home, they kind of glossed over it a little bit and didn't really treat it very seriously it when it would be for sure, kind yeah. of traumatic. <laughs> uh, and I think that it was brilliant having it set in a hospital where you can actually have people like, blinking back into reality and literally in a room that's being occupied by a total stranger now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, the confusion that would be, you know, involved there because they didn't even know, cause since they got, you know, snapped away, they didn't know about the snap. So now there's these dust people coalescing around them. Who knows what that's <laughs> about to them, you know? So yeah, mm-hmm. that was, I thought that was great to see. Yeah. I, I, I loved, yeah. I, I was, I loved the, we see it, we experience it in Avengers Endgame as like this big triumph and a heroic thing. And then like you get to see it's like, oh, it wasn't always that great. It is kind of weird. 
it's so sad. It's so tragic, yeah. right? She she wasn't present for when her mom passed away. And I'm already seeing the internet go like, look, that was Maria Rambo. At that point, um, the Avengers had the remaining Avengers had assembled and have started to try to help people where they could. But Carol came back to earth because she was looking for Nick Fury. So people are already going, we have to please tell us that at least Carol was present when Maria passed away, you know, a couple years into the five-year period. And I'm like, that's an amazing bit of storytelling that I had not even thought about or considered because the show, like you guys are saying, has given us that really sad, tragic, dramatic side of this thing where Spider-Man Far From Home did gloss over it. And I remember people ragging on that movie because of that, because people were like, oh, but I, I wanted to see that, you know, the, the drama of it and the effects of it. And Spider-Man just went, well, well we're just going to, it is a joke. We're just going to move past it. And now here's the story. And everybody misses Tony Stark and here's Mysterio. And I remember mm. kind of going to bat for that movie, just being like, well, look, that's not the movie where you're going to get that. I don't want a whole movie of this, but I think that having an episode of uh, or two of each of these like Disney plus series potentially explore it like just a cold open like this is brilliant. And it's almost, it's almost too much. Again, I don't want a whole series or a movie that really like focuses on it, but I feel as though we're going to get a little bit more insight in Falcon and the winter soldier. We might get a little bit more insight in the Hawkeye show with like, you know, what does it mean when he gets reunited with his family? But what, what happened? Like, you know, so when it, it is all really interesting and I was just watching an interview with Kevin Feige, who was being asked about this. And he said that, Initially, he was afraid that focusing too much on the blip was going to was going to be something that maybe audiences couldn't relate to this this thing that the entire world and universe went through and lives are lost and it feels like we lost time. And then he said, and now, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, it's so sad and tragic, but weird how much relatability there is to some of these like out of the out of left field, crazy cosmic sci-fi scenarios, you know, with these, with these characters coming back. So I think he was kind of saying at first he was, they, they were hesitant to really like stay with it. And that's why they kind of treated it as a joke for Spider-Man. And let's just keep going forward. Let's not focus on it. It's too crazy cosmic people blipping out of existence. But now going forward, I think he was hinting at like, we might see more of it in Falcon winter soldier. We might see more of it in the future shows kind of going forward, because I'm sure these storytellers who are alive and working on through this pandemic are probably putting a little bit of that into some of this, you know, into the stuff. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, see some of it in referenced in She-Hulk or Miss Marvel or be, just because it's 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 so universe, you know, shaking and earth shattering um, like the Battle of New York was at the end of the first Avengers movie. But I think in this in this instance, it's totally like justified for these movies and TV shows to actually explore it a little bit. So really love that opening. Yeah, I mean, we could even see it in like things like Guardians of the Galaxy going forward because it wasn't just the people on Earth. Like, yep. how much more confusing is it for the people on these other planets in the Marvel universe where they don't even know about Thanos at all? Mm -hmm. And this just happened that. for no seeming, like seemingly for no reason. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's very <laughs> dark, and it's like I I can understand in some movies and shows them kind of glossing over it because it's like. It, I'm sure a lot of people are in therapy for years after something like this happens. You yeah. got the support groups and like, did you get blipped? Come talk to us. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's dark. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and, yeah. I, and I, I think the way that Spider-Man handled it was perfectly fine for Spider-Man too, you know, because it's like, it's a movie where the stars are high schoolers and it's supposed to be a little bit more lighthearted. 
mm-hmm. Spider-Man jokes around all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And we were so, lucky that that they, they yeah. decided that that core cast of kids were uh, like Spider-Man, you know, MJ, uh, uh, Ned, and Flash Thompson. Like th- those kids were blipped, so that their reference really is when they came back. It's just like the world moved on five years and they didn't. Versus like they felt like they didn't miss out on anything. Versus if the if the movie was about half of the kids from like the first Spider-Man movie did blip, but the other half didn't. You know, mm-hmm. if, if they just showed us like Flash Thompson five years later or Ned five <laughs> years later, like that might be, that's a whole different movie where where yeah. th- that dynamic would shift that drastically. And they joked a little bit about it because one of the kids at the beginning of, of Far From Home was like, my little brother's now my older brother. What's up with that? And then they just kind of keep going like, okay, we're, he's just not a main laugh. character. Just a laugh. And that's funny and messed up and weird, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we move on to uh, Sword. And we, we've Ashton has explained sword to us a little bit in the past, but now that we're like actually at their headquarters, uh, do we know any of those characters specifically? I guess the director, is he from the comics or anything? Is there, it, it seemed to me that there was a relationship between uh, Rambo and him, like mm-hmm. more than just a work relationship, but I don't know if I, if anything is there or not. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look it up yet. I'm sure they are. Because <laughs> Marvel does this all the time. And I think that the main difference right now um, as a comic book fan, I'm sure Ashton, you've covered this before too, or, or maybe you haven't had a chance to talk about it because we haven't had like a sword episode yet. Is that in the comic book sword is basically shield, but in space or focusing on space. And in this show, it seems to be sentient weapons, observation and response division or whatever. So it's like, they're sh- they're changing it to be like maybe when Maria and young Nick Fury encountered Carol and how powerful she is as a as a being, then they decided to create a branch of Shield or a version of an organization like Shield where it's like we're going to focus on the super powered you know sentient weapons is what we're going to call them as opposed to like like what's what's what is it in the comics it's like it's like it's, i think it's sentient some, world sentient world observation world with sentient life on them gotcha got yeah exactly exactly it, yeah it's like it's it's focusing on space in the marvel universe and like you said planets that have intelligent life or whatever and other people that they could interact with but so i think that that's pretty interesting and in the comments phantom jedi says i think this show is setting up captain marvel 2 with sword yeah mm-hmm. probably i think that'll be the main uh connective thread there where it makes sense that after the movie Captain Marvel that they would do that. Um, yeah, I guess well, it just see, makes sense. With, with So S.H.I.E.L.D. is there to protect Earth, but S.W.O.R.D., they were even talking about creating sentient weapons. So it's mm-hmm. like, this is our weapon and what we will use to it does. It, we need to. It does work better with the metaphor of like S.H.I.E.L.D. and S.W.O.R.D. probably <laughs> than the comic book version, which is just kind of, you know, just acronyms for them to use. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I do kind of like that about the movie version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do they a, make any weapons in the comic? Does sword create any heroes that we might've seen them working not, on in this little scene? Not that I know of, but I need to read some of the, there's more recent comics that have uh, Carol Danvers as captain Marvel leading alpha flight. And they're like a first response space team. They shift their focus. Normally they're like the Canadian Avengers, Alpha Flight all of a sudden changes to like, well, let's let's have Carol Danvers and this group sort of lead the the uh, the charge for if we're dealing with space stuff preemptively out in space. Like that's kind of what Alpha Flight does. So I don't know if they created weapons or not, but that whole 
that whole analogy of sword versus shield reminds me that in some Marvel Cinematic Universe tie-in comics that came out years ago that are set during that are set between Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 they reveal that Nick Fury Sam Jackson is interacting with William Hurt's character General Thaddeus Ross when he's still in the army and he's not like Secretary of Defense as we see him later so when he's in the army he I think has a conversation with Nick Fury where he says something like you're the shield and I'm the sword <laughs> what he says uh, you know, and that and that makes mm-hmm. sense for Ross for his whole character thing is that he is like, I want to make a weapon. I want to defend the United States. I want to, you know, he's just a military guy. Um, so I wonder if that will be. I wonder if they're going to use that, like you guys are saying, like Ashton, you were talking about how it's it works for the metaphor better in the MCU. Like, I wonder if they are going to make so, so if they're going to show us somebody at sword being like, well, we have to be preemptive. And that's why we've created this A.I. Oh, it went evil. Like if they're if they're going to be some kind <laughs> of who to thunk. Yeah. Who yeah. To thunk? Once well, again, it, also, it kind of sets them up to maybe be a little bit more nefarious, you know, because they're, exactly. Exactly. they're like, you know, just going on the offense, you know, and that could yeah, end I up I, going kind of bad <laughs> i don't know that i don't know the current status of shield in the mcu but i feel like there's still some version of it and it's been since the winter soldier and hydra being taken out of it i feel like it's been kind of minimized and then nick fury had to pull some strings to get like a helicarrier to help some people in avengers age of ultron and i haven't been keeping up with the agents of shield show but i heard they even go to like an alternate reality I think in like a later season just to like leave Coulson there instead of having to deal with the events of Thanos and the blip, because I think because movie production could not, could not stop to, to could, like TV production could not stop to wait for movie to resolve. So TV mm-hmm. production was like, well, we're just going to go into an alternate reality. We're just going to do this. So um, I, I think you're right. Ashton sword might end up being kind of just a new version of shield where they're allowed to use it as a storytelling device where it's like, Look at all these military and, and science people. They've made another mistake. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just quick. Thank you to Cubs Van Han for the raid. Uh, Cubs Van Han is going to be on this show in a few weeks, I think. So, thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, let's see. We, we go into Rambo is sent to Westview. Uh, she meets up with Jimmy. And, I mean, I just have to talk about... Uh, Jimmy and uh, the the magic trick. I loved that. <laughs> Jimmy Woo. Yeah, that was great. Oh, oh. <laughs> something happened with my camera. I'm still here, but the camera froze for a minute yeah. there. I I did love that um, we find out that there's been this protocol set in place by her mother as far as her not being able, like allowed to go straight back into her previous um, position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just like, Oh, that's, that's good storytelling. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that was a great detail just because of all the like scroll stuff and you know, like, <laughs> yeah, mm, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Oh, I wonder if the, if secret invasion, if that show is going to use the blip as, as the way that, some people maybe were uh, maybe they weren't blipped back because they somehow died or so. Or may, what I'm saying is maybe they'll have a scroll character take the place of a human and they, that they'll lie and be like, Oh, I came back from the blip when really that's a scroll. 
and maybe mm-hmm. that human is somewhere else or was killed or something like that. That could be interesting. So maybe Maria Rambo knew about that because she knows about scrolls and put that in place for that reason. That's a good point, Molly. It's, it's good storytelling seeding to see what, what could come of that. So yeah, for like five seconds and we got to scrolls. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking right, about I... the, the rule about her not being able to go back into the field immediately. Yeah. Uh, Mm. And specifically not things that were in space, which makes sense if it was scroll related, you know, that they would want to mm-hmm. keep her on, on planet and yeah. monitored. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I like that. And would that, that could even play into like Captain Marvel too, if it were to show or any Captain Marvel story where maybe it does involve uh, her visiting Monica. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. See the scrolls again. Yeah. It, didn't Feige say something about secret invasion, which I know very little about, but the, he was like, that's still in, it's still a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, we just don't know when it's coming out, but now I'm wondering if they're going to put out this secret invasion show out before Captain Marvel two to help set up maybe what they'll do in Captain Marvel two, because people were asking, well, look, the secret invasion comic book has even more characters involved and is even at a bigger scale than the civil war comic book. And you guys, Marvel Studios, had talked about how they couldn't do Civil War until they had enough movies to be able to make that worthwhile, to really make it like, here's a a whole group of characters on one side, a whole group of characters on the other side. So they couldn't just do that right out of the gate. And I think um, Feige responded with like, well, Secret Invasion, the show is not going to be like the comic book. It's going to be more personal and it's going to focus on Nick Fury and Talos, you know, played by Ben Mendelsohn. And be a bit more personal but but go go into that like paranoia of you know you don't know who's who and you don't know who you can trust that the comic book did and they use that for the marketing and stuff so so maybe they will set that up just like wandavision is setting up future movies maybe they'll use the secret invasion show to be like and here's what's been going on with the scrolls and here's why maria had that you know that plan set in place and here's carol at maria's deathbed when she passes away from cancer and now we're up to speed and then now go watch Captain Marvel two. And then we'll all be really excited to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we know that Jimmy was supposed to be out there to find someone in witness protection program. Who do we think that is? Well, I- at first, at first I thought it was Agnes, the character played by uh, Catherine Hahn, because when they were pointing to, when they were finding everybody, and they found all the New Jersey identities, you know, um, she didn't have one. So, mm-hmm. but then when they kept discuss, and it could still be her, but when they were talking about this person in witness protection and um, uh, uh, Monica was asking about the person, uh, Jimmy was like, they haven't even heard of him. And she was like, so they can't find him. And he's like, no, they don't. Th- that's what led me to this. So they were just, dis- they were saying like him, him, him in, uh, in reference to the person in witness protection. So I don't know. But I'm sure that it will be, uh, people are saying it's Ralph, it's Agnes's husband. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> we There's so many, so many interesting theories about Ralph. I know. I, I'm going to be mm-hmm. thrilled if Ralph is Agnes's cat. If, that, <laughs> yeah. if it ends up being Agatha Harkness's cat, I'm going to be ecstatic. That would be <laughs> great. That would be great. <laughs> but it's like, but that's why he was never seen in the old sitcom show is because a woman like Agnes would never be unmarried in those old shows. But so, so she needs to keep being like my husband, Ralph, but in like the reality, she just has a cat named Ralph or something, yeah. you know, like she just keeps him at home. Like she yeah, transformed yeah. him into a person, but he can't talk. So she just sort of yeah. keeps him away from everyone. 
That would be great I, if a human guy showed up and he and she was like, "This is my husband, Ralph," and then he just goes, "Wow!" Yeah, <laughs> like that's a cat. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, I have kind of a dark thought. So, I mean, we're, well, I'm sure we'll talk about what's going on with Vision again, as we have every week. But uh, he he said like we can we can go anywhere, and she's like, "No, we can't." And people are like, "Is he? Is she just reanimating his corpse?" But what if this missing person is just someone that looks a lot like Paul Bettany? And she just took him and twisted him in division. It's, po- it's possible. Um, my, uh, that's a really great point. That's, that's a, I just rewatched the episode with my girlfriend and she was like, why also can't they leave? If, if Wanda, because this is because my girlfriend had the same thought and I had the same thought, th- thought too. When we watched the episode, there's the, the husk of vision, right? That really mm-hmm. scary shot where he almost looks like a zombie, which is I screamed great. a little <laughs> from infinity war. It's a great shot. And then, so people are like, she's reanimating the dead body. She just took the robot body and it's like, you know, she's, she's using her magic to, to, to make him say stuff. Um, yeah, I just had to flex. That's right. <laughs> but, um, you're just really talking about your cat though. That's right. I don't have a girlfriend. I just have a cat. Uh, she's, she's lovely, but uh, I can't seem like I don't have a girlfriend on the internet. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, she, but she was she was saying like, oh, so he so he's just like a dead body. And then I I told her I said, well, I think that Wanda is powerful enough enough to actually bring him to life. And there's been a few instances where I mean, the whole premise of the show, these first three episodes, is is something out of her control, or is it like when things blip and get weird? The moment where Vision sat down, he was like, Wanda, I do feel like there's something wrong going on here. And then she just like it, it just like cut at it. And then Vision was acting normal hmm. when when he has these little breaks, these little moments where he's talking to the neighbors and he's like, we're all what we're all what? And they're like, uh, sh- don't don't say anything. Don't say anything. Is it Vision because he's real or is it her subconscious that is somehow making you know, pulling the threads of this reality to unravel it because subconsciously she knows she can't keep this up subconsciously she knows her husband is dead or or you know whatever it is that she wants to confront herself with but i remember when people were asking the Rousseau brothers i think and kevin feige during the infinity war endgame press stuff after endgame or before endgame i think maybe after endgame maybe spider-man because thanos had destroyed the stones right the stones are gone and one of those stones was vision's head he was the mind stone so people were like, well, now you can't ever bring back Vision to life. And one of the filmmakers, maybe the Rousseau brothers, maybe Kevin Feige said, well, when the stones are themselves destroyed, the Infinity Stones are supposed to represent like constants in the universe. Like you can't destroy that energy. It was really just sort of dispersed or atomized. And then one of them said at Marvel Studios, you could still technically take that energy and put it back into the stone and have it. Like the energy still exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know what I mean? But Maybe they didn't have the means to do that, which is why they needed to do the time heist to just go get stones, bring them to them, snap everybody back, and then put the stones back. But in their universe, these stones, like the the power that made up the power stone is still somewhere there. It just hasn't been, you know, condensed into the concentrated ingot like um, Benicio talked about. So, So I think Wanda Maximoff is powerful enough because her powers are she can manipulate reality that she would be able to, you know, find the energy in the universe to make the mind stone again, actually plug it into her robot husband. He's back and he's actually alive. But 
is that what the show's going to do? I don't know. And it's fun to to be watching these moments and going, is it just Wanda? Because people are pointing to like the stork, the fact that the stork was out of her control when she was trying mm-hmm. to like poof it away. When, you know, when Geraldine was talking on the couch, people are like, the stork, the stork is Mephesto. It can't, you know, she can't control the stork. And I'm like, but that's mm-hmm. just, but that's just a sitcom shenanigan, right? She set yeah. up a world where there needs to be sitcom shenanigans. Otherwise it's a boring show. So <laughs> I, I see the stork as something that's like, out of her control, but really not because worst case scenario, this woman's going to see a bird. That's, that's, how, <laughs> you know, like, like it, it first is like this woman's going to know that this whole reality is a sham or whatever. So I wouldn't count out that it could be all Wanda, but I wouldn't count out that Wanda herself could be one of the characters. Like if Dr. Strange wanted to find a way to create the time stone again, I bet you Dr. Strange could find the resources, you know, like, like him and his cosmic connections or, interdimensional connections, whatever could find a way to create the time stone. Once again, he's got the eye of Agamotto and he's Dr. Strange again, but I don't know. So, um, I, I'm just saying, I think Wanda could do it, but I don't know if the show is going to do that. We did talk a little bit about this in the last one that maybe it was one of the, the babies, <laughs> the unborn babies. Uh, I, saw, doing that. I saw that too, but I, I do think that it is, that is folks being like, there needs to be a reason why there's shenanigans. And I'm like, but it's a sitcom again. <laughs> yeah. It could be that the baby in the womb is powerful, but I'm like, I'm more likely to believe if that was really a hint at that, then why wasn't there any kind of like super speed shenanigans happening with Wanda? You know, she's got a speeder in there too. Like, is it just Wiccan? Is it just uh, Billy who can, who can do magic stuff as a, as a fetus? Why wouldn't the other fetus that can do speed stuff, you know, do something to, 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 to show that in the show. So, um, I'm fine with it, but I, I do, I, I, maybe I'm trying to set up us hardcore Marvel decoders, like trying to let us down easy. Like guys, it may just be sitcom shenanigans. That's all I'm saying. The lobster doesn't mean anything. It's just a funny, <laughs> like <laughs> it's just a door knocker joke on the door. It's okay. You know, uh, well, cause there's been other out. times when she's not been able to solve every problem with magic. I mean, like yeah. she's not been able to cook dinner for the heart family by just snapping her fingers, you know, like sometimes it's it's just part of the show that she's right. you know producing <laughs> and, and <laughs> that her be, magic doesn't do exactly what she seems to want it to do and to be fair you know people were pointing out that when she's in a nursery and they like she's using her magic to paint a stork and she, and she's and then she like she feels the baby kick or whatever and then magically the butterflies come to life that's a that's an instance of hey something's out of her control she didn't mean to do that but i would also say that the whole premise of these fake sitcoms is that they are a magic user and a android and they're trying to fit in so it's like bewitched mm-hmm. right so it's like even though the stork could be a manifestation of her i don't know pregnancy losing a little bit of a grip on reality whatever it is losing her control it is also like but part of the show is that wanda uses magic she's a witch and vision who's really fast and a robot like they're trying to hide who they are so mm-hmm. you know i don't know it's interesting I kind of think that at like the very least, it's just that when she was actually having the pregnancy happen, she was like distracted from control over because the may- thing, you know, maybe the show was telling us this is a real pregnancy, you yeah. know, that like it kind of like in the comics, right? That, that when Wanda had these kids and later when other writers and stuff came on and they were like, well, the kids were actually never real because she created them out of magic because she, you cannot, she could not biologically have children with vision because he is a robot. Mm-hmm. And they added that to the, to the story. 
it, it, it eventually they revealed no, but the kids, they, she did give birth. Like she did will that into existence with her powers. So she went through the process of being pregnant and giving birth and having children and, and raising kids. And at some point they, um, they, they use that great comic book, you know, explain away to be like, well, let's make them go away. We'll, 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 we'll start to chip away at the sanity that, that Wanda has. And then eventually, you know, again, I was going, I was talking about some of the criticism that her sort of comic book storyline has, has come under fire for. And that's part of it is, is that the notion that she's a powerful woman who goes through loss and grief. And then is when she goes crazy, right? Quote unquote, goes crazy and loses her grip on reality and loses all of her power and control versus sometimes that same storyline can kind of be applied to other male superhero characters who've certainly gone through loss and grief. Do they go crazy and go evil and kill people and, you know, disrupt, disrupt reality and stuff? Not usually. So if they're Thor, they just get fat. If they're Thor, they go through <laughs> depression a different way and that's valid and he's still worthy and that's okay. You know, he still has to learn he's worthy, but, but then eventually uh, writers were working on the comic book series, young Avengers. And they're like, you know, you know what, let's actually, let's have these grown up or teenager versions of the characters and say they are Wanda's kids. And through sort of magical shenanigans, they're kind of reincarnated into the, into these uh, teenage boys sort of lives. And now they're, you know, fully fledged characters on their own and people are excited about seeing them. And so, um, but all of that to say, like you, I think you're right, Ashton and, and, and Molly, maybe that when things are kind of glitching in her magic world, it's because the show's telling us, no, she really has to breathe. Like she really did it. And she actually gave birth to two children. That's an incredible power to be able to miraculously, as you know, it's only her and Shmi that have been able to do uh, uh, Skywalker. That's it. They're the only people that have been able to do it. So uh, very powerful women, very powerful women. Well, I think that also it's like if she can magically create two new humans, then I would think that she would also be able to magically bring vision back from the dead too. So maybe that's kind of like, maybe she got like, so my, my prediction is that maybe she like got help from someone else to bring vision back to life or to mm. like sort of teach your, teach her how to do it or something like that. Mm -hmm. But maybe they're manipulating her into creating these kids. Like they kind of figured that maybe that would happen. And then they're going to try to use that, you know, maybe, maybe, um, maybe kind of be similar yeah. to the comic thing, but that is a little bit convoluted at that point. I don't know if it's too much for the, you know, MCU stuff. I think that there's definitely more to the show with these first four episodes. You know, this fourth episode ends with, with uh, uh, Monica being like, it's all Wanda, it's all her, because they had no idea what the level of, of, you know, how deep this went, what the level of manipulation was, if any. And, mm -hmm. and, and people online are saying, but that could still be, that's Monica just trying to throw us off the trail, maybe, you know, and there could be more to learn uh, about who's in the witness protection program, what's Agnes's role, you know, what was she doing in New Jersey, right after the events of Avengers Endgame, like, like, did she get called there? Did she go there to meet somebody? Is it Agnes? Like you're saying, Ashton, is it somebody that's helping her with the body of vision? You know, this just came out the past few days, but there was a, maybe like a, a potential deleted scene or deleted scene from Avengers Endgame that shows her like getting vision's body. Like it showed Wanda, they either wrote it and shot it or they just wrote it, but it has Wanda actually coming into possession of vision's body. Maybe they're like, Wanda, we felt like you should have this or whatever that may be set up one division. And so all those questions need to be addressed, but I think I might be picking up what you're putting down. Ashton is like, is the master manipulator Mephisto and the devil and that whole thing. 
that may, I think, be a little too convoluted for this show. Maybe, I remember yeah. before Avengers Infinity Game came out, the comic book fans were like, oh man, how are they going to explain that Josh Brolin Thanos is just trying to appeal to death? Who's going to play death? Are they going to use Hela as a shortcut? How are they going to explain that crazy concept? And then the movie didn't because it might be, a, it's, a, it's too much. It's a little too much. You yeah. know, it made audiences a little too much. So they decided to keep the same actions and and like philosophy, but change the motivation. And I think it worked very well for the film. So kudos to them. I think Thanos was well executed. I feel like the same thing would happen here. I think they're looking at Wanda's storyline from the comics and all of the characters that it involves and being like, who who can we bring in? What can we use? Agatha Harkness? Interesting. Maybe we, you know, let's pull, let's pull this character. What can we do with this character? Mephesto, the, the, letter, the literal devil of the Marvel Universe? Maybe not. Maybe yeah. we'll leave it on the page. This might be a little much. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I, 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 I like the idea of her getting manipulated by somebody or something, though, just because if it's not, then she's kind of both the protagonist and the antagonist of this whole story. And it gets a little that's, bit just kind of like, oh, that's kind of what it seemed like from the beginning. And that's a letdown, you know. I, that's what before we were doing this, Ash and I were just texting. And like this episode does feel like... Uh, they revealed something that it's like, okay, by now you kind of figured it out. This is Wanda's alternate reality. She is controlling things to an extent. And like, they've revealed that twist for sure. And Ashton was like, so yeah, there's gotta be another twist or more to this. And I'm like, yeah, I think I agree. Yeah. So like, what's the next mystery basically? Like they were like, here's some mystery for the first three episodes. And then, okay, you figured it out now, unless they're going to change the whole like tone of the show into not being mystery anymore, we've got to have something that's mysterious still you know so. yeah there, there was a couple of moments uh with wanda in this episode that it, it was very brief but that uh, her acting is phenomenal um where she kind of looks like she, yeah she could be just like having this moment of intense confusion and like trying to fight what it is that's causing her to kick geraldine out of this universe or you know, speak to vision. And then she sees vision as like a zombie and she, she looks like she's kind of having a hard time. So that also could mean she's somehow being controlled. I think for me, I'm mixed on it because on the one hand, I think it is totally valid and also really interesting to give us a character who we've seen only a supporting role up to this point, Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff and be like, what if she does lose it? And I mean, just worst case scenario. And let's let Elizabeth Olsen like floor us with some great acting, some really, you know, like really hard stuff and then build up to where she'll appear in a movie or some later thing. And she can kind of triumphantly come back from that. And uh, on that hand, I love that. And I, and I would like to see it and I would like to see, the opportunity for for the same feelings I got when I read the House of M comic book, which is everybody's go-to right now when talking about this show because it, it is sort of like Wanda's low point, low, low point in her history. And it's also really cool and interesting and it has a bunch of characters and it's fun. Um, but the comic books came under criticism because it is one in a long line of that trope of like, we have a very powerful female character uh, and you know, male writer and artists, whether or not they know it, whether it's subconscious for whatever reason, will often take a character like that and be like, okay, now wouldn't it be really scary if she was, if she lost it because powerful women are scary to men, 
you know, because be, like that, and and so there's that trope of the the crazy woman, and it's often in movies, and it's it's fatal attraction, and it's all these different things that we've seen in so many so many movies and TV shows, and I think in the past 10, 15 years, there's been more of a desire to showcase that story but from the perspective of the woman to be like what you know what would cause a person to go through this and often more often than not it's the 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 environment that she comes up in and that's worth like you know looking at and inspecting and we get pieces of that in wandavision little hints at sexism within the fake sitcom world when the doctor's like you'd make a great nurse and then it cuts to wanda and she's kind of like okay that was you know she's thinking that was pretty sexist and or we're like supposed a metaphor to, with the fruit you know <laughs> totally totally and we're supposed to laugh at it and go oh that's true how outdated for the 60s 50s 60s and 70s you know men to sort of think that way and that whole world be based around like a very sort of you know subservient and happy housewife and a businessman man and that's the that's the dynamic but then even in this last episode when darcy lewis shows up she's a doctor and mm -hmm. dude was like it's lewis and she's like dr lewis and i'm and, and i'm like the show's doing it again the show's telling us still mm -hmm. that this problem still persists this looking at women in an unequal way in an unequal way and i think it's very interesting so like if wandavision does this and sets up wanda to be the big bad of the next couple movies or whatever, if it sets up to where Dr. Strange has to call in reinforcements and be like, I can't, she needs help. We need to help her. I'm okay. As long as Wanda herself is the character who makes the choice to come out of it, makes that, you know, who's able to take her own agency and be like, I was going through this and it was hard and my life has been hard, but just like all the other male characters in this world, I can use that and become a triumphant hero again. Uh, so I, I would be happy about that. And on the other hand, if they don't, if they tend to just fall into like, oh, she's manipulated, right? The House of M storyline revealed that it was her brother Quicksilver, who's alive in the comic books, told her, whispered in Wanda's ear, like, Wanda, what if you used your powers to manipulate reality and put us on top? What if you do that? What if you do that? They're coming here to kill you, Wanda. Your friends are coming here to kill you because you're so out of control, Wanda. And then afterwards, she was manipulated by Dr. Doom. And then there was revelations that, like it was Dr. Doom the whole time because he wanted her to, you know, whatever, use her kids, use Mephesto, whatever the thing is. If, if we see some shades of that, I would be disappointed just because I feel like some of the wrong lessons would be taken from the comics. As much as I'd love to see Dr. Doom, as much as I'd love to, you know, a, a cool story for Quicksilver to somehow come back to life. I'm like... Keep it to where Wanda gets to be the person who makes those choices in the same way that in the comic books of the past couple of years, Spider-Gwen is this revelation of a character because she represents a comeback or a redemption for a female character who really had no say in her fate. You know what I mean? Gwen Stacy is this famous, famous, famous girlfriend of a superhero male character who passes away and then motivates him to keep sort of being a superhero character. And it's a beautiful story. And I really like Gwen Stacy as a character. I prefer Mary Jane Watson. I love MJ. I'm an MJ guy. That's the generation I grew up with. But here Gwen Stacy is known for dying more so than she is for like a character when she was alive. And it's just, and it's, and when, when they first did it in the seventies, it was novel. It was new. And it was different to superhero comic books that had, you know, had your Lois Lanes and your all these different characters that would just forever and ever be the sort of supporting character or significant other. So when Gwen Stacy dies, it really was totally different. And Spider-Man comics shook it up and fans were like, oh, no, I get it. But since then, it's become such a trope. It's become such a common occurrence that Spider-Gwen is a version 
of that character where she is the one who lives and Peter Parker, unfortunately died. And it's an alternate universe, but at least it's like a, Oh, now I know who Gwen is as a character. I know more about Gwen from the spider verse movie in terms of her personality and what she, what her priorities are and how she is and her sense of humor and everything. than I do from reading lots of comic books from the seventies with Gwen Stacy sixties and seventies, because she's just kind of a meh character. And that's how they sort of wrote those characters and especially female characters then. So, um, uh, I've been talking 20 minutes straight. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I, you know, <laughs> bruh, I know you're, you're I explaining been. stuff to us <laughs> to, wrap up, to wrap up. I'm I, in terms of the direction of Scarlet, Witch, all I'll say is I am interested in seeing how they'll do either path. And for me, the path is either it's all Wanda or she is manipulated. And I think there's pros and cons for each. And I hope, and I am, and, and I have faith that the storytellers at Marvel studios are aware of those tricky, problematic things and they'll be able to like correct them one up them make them better that's all I'm, that's all i'm hoping for look the mcu has a hank pym who did not hit his wife michael douglas did not do that in the ant-man movies they knew to leave that on the page that's all i'm gonna say not everything has to come right from the comics <laughs> some of those comics made some mistakes and some hiccups and that's okay so i think i think maybe one way that they could pull it off where they're basically satisfying kind of both sides of what you're saying is if instead of it being manipulated like oh somebody you know is controlling her instead of it being that if it's almost more like she agreed to a faustian bargain sort of thing and then she has to try to figure out a way out of it without sacrificing loved ones you know something like that it reminds me so much of dark willow from buffy where she loses tara goes off the deep end uh and i mean xander has a part in bringing her back but ultimately she decides not to not to destroy the world and then you know she like recovers from that so totally that'd be great and then saves the world and saves the world exactly yes (laughs) i um uh, going back to darcy real quick i just hope she got her coffee (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. thinking about that all day yeah (laughs) i i really uh, Molly, I think you were guessing that we would get one of these episodes uh, all all outside of the sitcom. Also, uh, thanks for the raid. Let's get ready to talk schmo down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we got that. And I really, <laughs> like after uh, Hector gave this really eloquent monologue about uh, <laughs> all, all the, the, the choices that this show is making, I was like, I really liked the meta idea of Jimmy Woo just writing... <laughs> Like all the questions that we're writing, like that yeah. whiteboard is basically okay. us every week. It's like, like I like the card question. trick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly, was, I did. That was when your camera froze, but I wanted you to bring it up because you explained to me the history behind the card trick. And I was like, oh, cool. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I burst out laughing when he was just like, Jimmy Woo. And I was like, <laughs> no, good yeah. for Jimmy. Uh, but that. yeah, I wanted to kind of go through maybe some of those questions you already brought up that like uh yeah agnes doesn't have her id uh but just i loved that they were asking these questions like why why is it a sitcom universe uh why is it a hexagon which we didn't know until now uh even like some of the the character port the characters that they were writing down they were writing down all their appearances it was like basically a fan wiki that they're keeping up with um like is does Monica have to play along with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also loved seeing Darcy get wrapped up in the storylines and like that they kiss at the end. She's like, Oh, like mm-hmm. that's yeah. sweet. Like, yeah. Um, 
So what do you think about all that? And do we have any answers or thoughts on some of those? I guess the, the hexagon question is the, the new one. The, the other ones we've been asking for four weeks. Also, what happened <laughs> slash the guy in the, the sewer? We didn't really see what oh, happened. Yeah. No one cares about Franklin. Everyone's like, well, we found Monica Rambeau. No one did. Did he like, did, did everyone get selective amnesia about Franklin? Hmm. Or, or is it just, he was kind of a jerk anyway. And now he's gone. <laughs> Great <laughs> point. <laughs> I would imagine because as soon as Wanda discovers that uh, Geraldine is an outsider, she doesn't try to like erase her memory and put her back into the sitcom world. She booted her out. So I would imagine the same thing's going to happen with Beekeeper. When I saw that happen in the episode, I was like, oh, that dude is dead. I'm like, maybe he was so much of a threat that she, you know, when she's like, no. And then just blipped and everything went back to inside the house that like, maybe she straight up erased him and killed him and, and got him out of the equation versus like, but I don't know. But if she, but if she felt that way about Geraldine, why didn't she just kill Geraldine? Uh, because she's a superhero still. She's an Avenger. I'm hoping <laughs> fingers crossed. So like if she boots Geraldine out, maybe she was able to boot out the beekeeper, Franklin, the agent. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll see what happens to him, but he's but just on the other side of town. Well, and also we saw like her do the rewind on that one. So, I mean, it's possible she just like rewound him out rather than just like, you know, launching him out mm. of a cannon. It's <laughs> it turns out he's actually in Eastview now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody's saying the hexagon is because, you know, six sides and six is the number of the devil. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're doing a lot of that on purpose. A lot of the Easter eggs and different things. Um, uh, I think in terms of why sitcoms, and that was, you guys are so right. That was such a funny moment because it, 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 it's, it's so great to know that they would know that three episodes into the show, the internet was going to be doing this. And so it's almost, it felt like they were making fun of us. It felt like they were making fun of, you know, all of this over explanation thing. And I'm pretty sure there's like a new rock stars video that literally says why sitcoms question mark on the thumbnail. Like that's their whole thing is that they're going to break it down question by question. Um, so that was really fun. So it, it, I feel like it's, it's Marvel studios being like, Oh, we know what you're going to care about. We know already. So <laughs> we've thought about all this stuff, which is um, comforting to know. I think why mm-hmm. sitcoms? I think simply because Wanda, uh, you know, this is a great point is, is, and I am a little bit familiar with this because I am the, ch- the child of immigrants. My parents came from Mexico. And so I have a somewhat of an understanding of what pop culture is like in that country, even though it's just right, you know, across the street, it's right down there. It's, uh, I'm in Los Angeles and you guys are in Atlanta. It's a little further away for you guys, but <laughs> it's, um, it's, it still is a foreign country. And so I'm, I, I kind of grew up being aware of like what kind of pop culture osmosis happens to international audiences, to Mexican audiences, what kind of movie and TV do they absorb? Our buddy on, uh, heroes reforged on the YouTube channel that I'm on, uh, Adam, he is Czech and he talks about how, he, he had reruns of of classic American sitcoms, you know, in his native language growing up being rerun on television. So I think that even though Wanda is Sokovian, fake country of Sokovia, Eastern European, that I think she probably still grew up on Dick Van Dyke, Bewitched, Brady Bunch reruns, you know. But the question is, is, well, when we get to some of the more recent styles of stuff like um, 
modern family is wanda just like a tv fan does she just watch <laughs> as soon as she joined the avengers and moved into that you know facility upstate is she watching like modern family in the office and being like vision i love this this is a great show this is fantastic like, i don't know <laughs> i don't know you know where where her knowledge and love of the sitcom world comes from uh at least for the newer stuff but yeah does she does she love full house because her sister was on it i don't know we're gonna find out <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to see how many decades uh, we visit in, in this place. We've definitely seen 80s and 90s in the trailers. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know how far we're going to go. Do you think there's anything to the line about the cosmic radiation being at safe levels for now? I think, well, maybe, I don't, uh, maybe, I think so, actually, Ashley, that's a good question. I think so. When she, when Darcy said that, I went, oh, okay, that feels like that's going to be something that happens in the last couple episodes where like, it's mm -hmm. out of control. You know, sword, get out of here. Retreat, retreat. The bubble of New Jersey is expanding, the bubble of Westview, and that's why we need to stop Wanda or help Wanda. Um, but I also saw the internet this morning being like, okay, it looks like this is the next phase four sci-fi mumbo jumbo. You know, in phase three of the MCU, it was quantum. Everybody said, <laughs> everything said quantum, quantum, and now it's going to be cosmic. And that that may even be seeding the, 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 the origin for the Fantastic Four, you know, mm -hmm. which is really great. I remember in Avengers Endgame when Rocket Raccoon was talking about how they just recorded a, 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 a thing of a bunch of cosmic energy that like Thanos had snapped the stones away. You know, that he was like, this is like cosmic energy that nobody's ever seen before or whatever that I went. Very cosmic. good Rocket Raccoon. Thank you. So <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it, uh, that I went, that's the Fantastic Four. And I went, oh, I wonder if maybe they'll explain four astronauts. And now we have S.W.O.R.D., which has been talking about an astronaut program. And I'm like, interesting. Maybe they'll have S.W.O.R.D. be the organization as opposed to just like straight up NASA. Because NASA in the 60s was the group that... Reed Richards and his family, uh, soon to be family, like his fiance, went and like stole a shuttle that he designed to just go up into space on their own. And then they got bombarded with cosmic rays and then came back down and, you know, so on and so forth. So maybe S.W.O.R.D. is going to be the MCU equivalent to like to, a, to sidestep doing stuff with NASA, because when you're in the MCU, it does unfortunately now feel like NASA's kind of like, OK, that's old news, man. Like we have characters who can just hop on a Quinjet and go into space, like with a talking raccoon. Like we have to, we have to match that energy a little bit. So maybe sword will be the, the organization that has an astronaut program and maybe four astronauts will turn into the fantastic four through that. So mm. that, that could be cool. Also, if they're exploring the whole multiverse thing, I mean, who knows, they might be taking a spaceship into a dimension or something, you know, that might not I've really be just space travel. That's true. And I wonder if it's so funny how the MCU movies, the, the ones that have done stuff that has previously existed, the Spider-Man movies, they've done different stuff. And I think partly because of the previous existence of these movies. So like the first Fantastic Four movies directed by Tim Story were they just went up into space. Then the new one that nobody liked with the teenager characters, they went into the negative zone. And that was more like the ultimate Fantastic Four comics. And I also like that take, too, because, again, the negative zone could at least potentially set up characters and concepts from that thing that could tie into future Marvel things, you know? Unfortunately, that movie didn't do that. It was just this big, boring realm, the negative zone in the in the uh, Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie. So I wonder if they'll avoid that just because the last movie did it or if they'll embrace it and do it better or if they'll just go to space, or if they'll find some other way to be like, here's how four people got powers, let's go, <laughs> you know? I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think about the commercials? Uh, we, we talked about sitcoms, <laughs> but the fact that she is inserting commercials into them as well, uh, just it, it's really like making me think about all this stuff again, watching people in universe watch it. And the fact that the commercials were part of the show, like it, it showed yeah. that watch commercial again. Well, and your so your theory about the commercials, Alex, is that those are Wanda's parents. It, it wasn't my theory originally. It was someone mm. from oh. chat. I've seen that thrown around a lot, and I was like, I, I mean, the fact that it's it's the same actors every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it there's there's got to be some reason for that. Well, the latest one had some more, some different people in it because there were like kids in it. I think. Mm-hmm. But it is still the same. It was the toaster, then the watch, then Hydra Soak, and. Yeah, I w- that's really interesting because, I mean, maybe they are just manifestations, but what, what we learned in this episode, they may also just be townspeople that uh, yeah, are now yeah. playing the role of you. You are the you're the two people in the commercials constantly. Maybe, maybe that's the, maybe that's the witness protection program guy. Like she's oh, shoved him yeah. off the commercial realm. <laughs> I like that. I don't know why, but I that I like a lot. That would be fun. Uh, I've also seen online that people are saying that those little commercials just represent the trauma that Wanda's going through. And I feel like that's probably spot on because of the, the toaster noise, it being a stark weapon. Everybody is really with this show talking about the little tiny sentences we heard in Avengers age of Ultron, like, Oh, it's good as a weapon that she was, you know, that they were thinking was going to explode, which is really great. Red light on the toaster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of why do they exist in the show? I was thinking about this uh, when I think, especially with episode four, but like in the Truman show, they would in that movie, there was a moments where like he would accidentally walk into an elevator that wasn't a functioning elevator, but it was just like the behind the scenes. And there was actors like resting on a smoke break or whatever. And they'd freak out. I wonder if the commercials when they're happening within the the town are when Wanda just sort of like freezes everybody. And then she can just take like a five minute breather because otherwise she has to be on all the time and everybody has to be on. I wonder if that, if that could be something that um, we'll find out or we won't. And it's just a fun part of the <laughs> fake reality. I don't know. Like you said, these people don't have to have identities. They're just there. Right. Well, right. we also know that time isn't necessarily working perfectly because while the bit with Jimmy Woo was live, you know, cause he was talking to the, you know, through the radio, there's also bits where she, you know, censors something and it cuts to a future time instantly, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he, he would, you know, they were trying to reach through the radio at nighttime outside and it was happening during the day in the black and white sixties episode yeah. when they're at the pool. So mm-hmm. she like it, 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 they were, they were talking about, uh, it was Darcy's character who says like, she does the dishes once an episode barf. And so I'm like, okay, so every 20 minutes, is that how it kind of is working? And it also seemed like they were getting, the sword agents were getting more episodes than we got to see. You know, we only mm-hmm. saw one episode per era, but it seemed like over the course of this day that they're observing her, that like there was more episode. There was a, another 50s or 60s episode where Geraldine was in the foreground and like Wanda was in the background talking. And I'm like, oh, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't see that. That's a, that's another, mm-hmm. that's an episode that came after the one we watched or before or whatever. So so you're totally right, Ashton. I feel like time is all wibbly wobbly. It's weird, and it's 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 it feels like it's just fitting this sitcom, you know, uh, rhythm. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm out of stuff to talk about. If anyone else <laughs> has stuff that they want to talk about, any uh, questions? 
Uh, no. So we we could take some chat questions as well. But yeah. Uh, someone said uh, missing person might be a mutant. Maybe. Well, interesting. How come? A key G. How come that? Uh, that's interesting. I, I know. Maybe that's why Sword cares so much about this missing persons case. Maybe. But no, wasn't it? Did they get called in because Jimmy Woo was calling it in, or I'm trying to remember because uh, because because Hayward is the is the dude's name, right? The director of Sword or whatever. Hayward like sends Monica in, and she's like, "Really?" And he goes, "Just do me this favor, go check this thing out in New Jersey." Jimmy Woo was there because he was calling. He was like checking up on an FBI witness protection person that went missing or something. Right. And then when he was further researching it, people were like, Oh, well, I don't know how that person, I don't, I don't remember that person existing. So that's mm -hmm. when Jimmy was like, this is weird. And I wonder if, yeah, I need to go back and rewatch and see like how they got to that point to where who called it in and why did they get assigned that? And then as soon as Monica gets sucked in from that point on, I know exactly why everything happens, but like, what, what was that initial, you know, I just know people were, I just know fans really want to put mutants in here. They're just – all the MCU fans are just <laughs> waiting, man. They're just taking any excuse for it, it there to be – It seems too early for me. Like the, they just got Fox. So like yeah. it seems yeah. like they would have had to know like th this was happening and so we can go ahead and start writing it. But it, yeah. I feel like we're going to get Fantastic Four before we get anything with mutants. And that's yeah. going to get fully introduced before mutants become a thing. Yeah, Probably. I I think they have an opportunity to. Um, well, Deadpool is happening, and that's really exciting. I don't want to. I honestly want to see Deadpool not even interact with like mutant characters. I just want Deadpool to interact with already established MCU characters and have that be <laughs> the last Deadpool movie. And then what a great swan song! And then that's it. But it does not explain it at all. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. my my like what is going on? <laughs> my theory is that. Um, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is going to actually explain that they're going to hop around to different multiverses. We, I mean, the rumors are we're going to see this stuff in Spider-Man. The rumors are we're going to see, you know, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back. And I'm like, okay, th there's been some confirmation of Alfred Molina. There's confirmation of, of um, Jamie Foxx. I don't know if they're supposed to be playing the same version of the character from the same universe you know, Jamie Foxx very quickly put up an Instagram post, but then took it down, which is like, mm -hmm. okay. but Jamie Foxx was saying like, Hey guys, I'm giving another shot. Like we're giving it another shot with electro. It, I'm not electro from the last movie. So I'm not going to be blue, but like I get to play this character again. And I felt to mm -hmm. me like it was a, they brought back JK Simmons to be Jonah, J Jonah Jameson. But that, but that character is not going to be like, I'm from another dimension. It's just J Jonah Jameson. <laughs> That universe is also played by J.K. Simmons. So all these impressions. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Okay, but um, I I actually believe that they'll go to the lengths of explaining it with Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool by having Wanda, Doctor Strange, whatever else, jump around in the multiverse of madness. In one of those multiverses, they will meet the Fox Ryan Reynolds Deadpool. Mm -hmm. He uh, he will <clears throat> excuse me. He will follow them back to the MCU reality and then Deadpool three will be set in that reality. And that'll be like the comic booky explanation for it. And, <clears throat> and then that Deadpool will be able to comment on it, you know, talk about it, talk about the Fox Disney deal, like go <laughs> like jump around to different multiverses. And then that'll be the sort of last 
big Deadpool adventure. I'm hoping because I'm also not looking for them to like, I don't need Deadpool to stick around in the MCU forever. Deadpool is a bit of a one trick pony for me. You know, I would love to see it pulled off in a, in a great way and have that trick be executed, but I'm not trying to be like, Oh, but I really want to see him interact with, you know, Ironheart, And we haven't gotten there yet. I don't care. Just one last Deadpool. He can work with whatever we've got currently and then go from there. But in terms of mutants, I don't, I don't want mutants to be uh, uh, explained as being from another reality either. I think mutants should just, should just be, they should just pop up. They should just, you know, come about in the MCU. And I was going to say earlier, they have an opportunity to introduce some MC or some mutant characters and concepts before they do a fully established like X-Men film in terms of like, what if they did a, a, a flashback and they showed World War II and a Wolverine was there? What if there was a Hulk thing where Hulk runs into Wolverine in the wilderness in Canada? What if there's, you know, we get hints of like a, of a terrorist who can manipulate metal? What's going on here? Like they can, they can do little concepts and little different things before we get to the, here's a movie where it's like a bunch of young people that have powers. They call themselves the X-Men and now they're part of the MCU. So we may see that. I don't know. I had a, a funny theory that I absolutely do not think is going to happen <laughs> with someone where we were talking about what if um, basically they do like an inverted House of M thing where it turns out there's been a handful of activated mutants so far, like mm-hmm. maybe Logan and a couple others, but then Wanda basically is like mutants and there's mutants suddenly. That could happen. That could happen. My favorite. <laughs> but yeah, it would be fun. My favorite kind of smart ass explanation for this is a lot of the times people would, would hit me up online and they're like, Hector, how, how, how can you explain mutants? What, how can you do it in the MCU? And I'd be like, Hey, easy. You just have to go check out X-Men issue number one from 1963. Your explanation is in there. And that's a smart ass way of saying like, they just, they just did it. They did, you know, they didn't have to find yeah. the comic book shenanigans that they really, truly, the answers are, they did the same thing with Dr. Strange already. They did the same thing with black Panther, black Panther's like, there's been Wakanda. It's just been here. You know, Dr. Strange is like, there's been magic users. And when fans go, well, where were they during the battle of New York? Okay, sure. Here's Avengers Endgame. We're going to show you Tilda Swinton fighting off some aliens there. So magic users have been here. It's not a big deal. There's, it's okay that not all of these characters showed up for every one of these movies, no matter how big the event is, you know, it's, it's totally okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I am hoping that it's just a very like, Oh, and now they're just more of them being born just like the yeah. comic books. It's just the, it's just the dumbest, you know, in the sixties, the X-Men explanation was they're the children of the atomic age because people were having sex in the fifties and it was the atomic age. All of a sudden there's more, <laughs> you know, mutants being born and they're getting their powers at puberty now in the sixties. Like that's dumb. And we couldn't do that today, but <laughs> I, I, I would be okay with just, uh, um, people being born with powers. And that's the explanation versus I'm interested the, to see, you know, sorry. I, I was just gonna say, I'm interested to see how they update some of the characters that have very specific backstories. Like you can't have Magneto in the 2020s yeah. where he grew up and he was a kid in a concentration camp in world yeah. war two, like just I, too long of a period. Unless he blinked out of existence for some weird story reason, you know, or something. Or the way that the comic books have done it. And it's so funny because you're absolutely right, Ashton. Like, I'm fine with every other update to the, the that type of character. Nick Fury was not active during World War II in the MCU. Neither was Black Widow. 
Normally mm-hmm. in the comic books, those characters were, and they gave them dumb comic book reasons for, oh, he had the inf- infinity formula. It's kind of like Captain America's formula, but it, it just makes it so he doesn't age as fast. And you're like, okay, sure. <laughs> but the, 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 the thing is, is I love Magneto. He's one of my favorite characters. And in the comic books, they have said that his power has helped him sort of slow down aging and stay in his prime. But then also at one point in the comic books are like, and through some comic book shenanigans, we have de-aged him. Like he got hit by the ray and now he's a baby. And then he was (laughs) aged back up to like a man in his prime. So I don't need that. But if they found a way to keep a character who was a Holocaust survivor and then turn into this horrible, evil, interesting villain, but still be able to be like, Again, kind of an, even an Ian McKellen age by the time we meet him in a future X-Men movie, uh, I would be okay with it. But I, I don't want to see Charles Xavier be just as long-lived. I don't want to see you know mm-hmm. Beast or like update everybody else and have every other character. I really only am like Wolverine, Magneto. Those are the only guys that need to have been around since at least World War II and, and in the case of Wolverine, even longer. But mm-hmm. um but we'll see. And then what if you start getting really crazy, like Apocalypse and things like that. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as like yeah. main characters, yeah. Exactly. God, I hope they do mutants soon. Just, I, I, w- just I wonder if we'll add Namor. Speaking of speaking of mutants, because now they've got yeah. the Fantastic Four and the X Men, so there's no question about you know Namor being actually within the copyright now. So here's a fun thing: Ashton is pronouncing the name Namor. Now, for years, comic book fans have debated <laughs> whether it's Namor oh, yeah. or Namor. And the same thing happened with Thanos. I know comic book fans that pronounce it Thanos, then Thanos. Mm-hmm. And then now the movies come out and everybody's kind of established it as Thanos. I really like the way Zoe Saldana pronounces it because she puts a little bit of Thanos, a little bit of like a Spanish accent on there. So uh, we'll see when the, the great thing about Namor or Namor is that he is a technically a mutant character, but he's also just like their Aquaman equivalent. And he's also, he could be somebody who was around since World War II. And he's also, you know, kind of a th- villain threat and less of a hero goody goody. So they could introduce him and then later reveal like he's one of the earliest recorded mutants because mm-hmm. he's the child of, of a human man and a uh, Atlantean woman, basically yeah. Aquaman, but more. And, and, and he's also the perfect one to just have been around because he was, in Atlantis, and then also in prison in Atlantis. It's like you don't get much more not in the limelight than that. <laughs> yeah, the Fantastic Four had a great way when they reintroduced that character in the 60s is they just had Namor be like a homeless guy in New York City. And young Human Torch was like, wait a minute, I know your face, and like took his his Human Torch flame and kind of burned off the guy's beard because he kind of had like amnesia and he didn't know, you know, he was just this homeless guy in New York City. And then when he burned off the beard carefully and he looked at him, he's like, you're Namor, the Submariner from history. Like he knew him from, you know, 20 <laughs> years before. So that would be a crazy way to introduce that character. <laughs> if yeah. he just shows up in a Fantastic Four movie and they cast some great actor and they put him in a fake beard or whatever, that could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> like cast one of the like extras from Captain America, the first Avenger, but give yeah. him a beard. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, do we want to talk about some thoughts about the next episode, what we might see? Yeah, let's wrap up with uh, some speculation, which I assume we'll go back in. We'll go back into the sitcom and we'll see the 80s. Yeah, I'm wondering if we see anything outside of uh, sitcom realm in the next one, because I mean, yeah, I really want to know. Yeah, I really want to know about 
what's happening on the outside, but I'm curious as to if they just have the next one. Okay. This is all back to what's happening in Westview. I think, I think it's probably going to go back into it because the name of the, of this episode was um, like, we interrupt your scheduled programming or whatever. I, I don't remember specifically what it was, but it was something like that. So it makes me think, okay, the interruptions over now they're going to get back to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, we know that there's more content from outside of the warp though, because we see it in the trailer, but I don't think it's, it'll be right now. <laughs> it could follow like a one, two, three break pattern, one, two, three mm-hmm. break, something like that. I kind of, I kind of don't want to go back outside again mm-hmm. for, for a second, just because I like wondering what they're doing and mm-hmm. how they're reacting to everything that's going on inside, but not seeing it right away. Mm-hmm. Just let I point this out. Cause I love the effect that this gives mm-hmm. when it goes like full widescreen. We're back to, I love how simple that is. And yeah. every time they do it in this show or in the Mandalorian or in IMAX, everyone's like, Oh, aspect ratio change. It's so great. Yeah. Well, it makes me, it makes me think like, okay, so the times when we've seen that happen in the past, is that like all the moments where the um, sword people weren't able to see what was going on was when the mm-hmm. aspect ratio was changed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe that's when the commercials are happening. Or, or when Wanda's like fast forwarding through whatever it was. And, and to go off what you said, Alex, I also feel like I don't want to go back to the outside world because I hope the next episode, which I think we're all on the same page, is probably going to be the 80s era sitcom. I hope that the next episode can can get everybody back into like, okay, now let's focus on what is happening between Wanda and Vision. What part of their life, you know, if the first episode in the 50s was supposed to be the honeymoon phase and the second episode in the 60s was supposed to be like them together in their marriage, you know, like figuring out how to be a part of the community and kind of what they want to do. But then at the end of it, Wanda's like, let's have kids. Then the 70s one is them going through the pregnancy phase the 80s one going to be them raising their toddlers how old are they going to be how old are we going to see them within the show are they going to get to like teenager age or whatever but but i want the show to like lull us back into that sense of security you get invested in the wanda envision story just like jimmy Woo was you know like where he's like i can't believe they're having kids like just super into (laughs) it and then at the end i think i want even more weirdness somehow and the first three episodes 50 60 70s i felt i felt like it incrementally got bigger in terms of the reality breaks like the first one was like a little bit and it cut to credits the second one was like you know beekeeper and and we're all like what the hell and then they wrapped it up cut to no they went to color and then the third one was the entire geraldine fiasco so I, i i hope that this next episode is like back to our regularly scheduled programming. And then right when we're into it, like, oh, isn't that, oh shit, what's happening? Like some crazy, you know, outside thing or break in the reality would happen. And that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Well, they've got to the classic fourth stage of marriage where the wife realizes her husband is a desiccated corpse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The desiccated corpse phase. It's the honeymoon phase. Then the desiccated corpse phase. Yeah. Then you get into uh, the modern family phase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to the 90s commercials for one thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Better be some Capri Sun style commercials. Like guns and stuff. What, what 80s show are we hoping this to be modeled after? I think last week we were guessing Married with Children. Mm, I, I think heard, it's going to be yeah. like, uh, like, oh yeah, yeah, Married with Children. That was the thing that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. I, have, I think in the trailer we see a scene of Agnes with like 
uh, aerobics gear on with like leg warmers and stuff, mm-hmm. which I guess that would kind of fit with the mm-hmm. married with children thing. Yeah. Here in the comments, Gnome saying says Roseanne and then Rain Man says they won't do Roseanne. Ha ha. I think they're going to do Roseanne. I think that has been the one that they said was going to be the 90s inspiration. And it kind of makes sense because as, as fun as it would be to do the TGIF full house family matters, you know, style that I have seen um, uh, some of the cast and crew talk about, like a Paul Bettany was talking about how it was so interesting to map these sitcom eras through the decades, fifties all the way to the two thousands, because it does start and it's a little bit more naive and pleasant. And as you mm. get down, you know, more recent with things like Roseanne with things like uh, modern family, that it becomes more about the dysfunctional family and it becomes more cynical and cold. And the laugh track goes away with Modern Family. You know what I mean? Like even that element of like the, the the sitcom warmness is a little bit different. So I think that it will play into Wanda and Vision's relationship and actually what they're really? going through thematically. So Roseanne is going to make sense because it's going to be kind of maybe a bit of a mean spirited, but we love each other, but we fight, but we love each other. Like that's what Roseanne and things like Home Improvement and some of those shows were where I remember watching them as a kid being like, you guys should get a divorce. You fight. All the time. <laughs> Just divorce Tim Taylor. He's not a good husband. <laughs> so maybe we'll see some of that. Yeah. Uh, well, I we did it. get uh, one question. I do think uh, I, I'm interested to hear what Hector has to say about this. Uh, Hudsonizer, thanks for the donation and question. What are your thoughts on Magneto being like the survivor of some other tragedy? Like, why, why is it important to you that he be alive during World War II? That's a great question, and I think that uh, ultimately either take is valid. I understand where people were like, look, let's cast Magneto and Professor X as black actors and have one of them be the survivor of, like, Rwandan genocide, you know, because let's shine some light on that in, in a more recent, unfortunately, atrocity. And I've seen that argument online, and I'm like, you know what? That's completely valid, and I totally understand, not to mention the fact that in comic book culture, so much of the conversation around the X-Men and Magneto and Professor X in particular has always been about how they feel like they are MLK and Malcolm X. So why not have those characters that were inspired by the civil rights movement in the 60s? They were definitely inspired by these figures and, and people making these strides in that era. But in Marvel Comics, they're like, well, we can't do a comic book about black people trying to get civil rights, but let's talk about this by having a bunch of good looking white kids talk about how they're different, you know, and that, and we're going to sell it to our audience and that's what they're trying to do. So I understand. And for me, a dream cast for like professor X would be Jeffrey Wright. You know, I I'm like, I'm in love with that idea. I think that would be fantastic. However, I also feel like it's, it's, it's not the, I know it's not the responsibility of something like Marvel comics or Disney or whatever to do this, but There is a lot of anti-Semitism in the world. There is a lot of people who, especially young people who may not know about the Holocaust, who may not know about some of those atrocities that happened in World War II. And it's weird, but my connection to these characters truly, truly is when I was a kid and I was learning about World War II and I was in sixth grade, my teacher, I remember, and this is weird and it sounds like it's weird, but it's, it's the norm, I think maybe still that she told us as a class, she goes, you know, I was, I, I'm going through the curriculum and my, part of my job is we're going to go through World War II. But she said, it's also optional to talk about the Holocaust. And as a teacher, she told us, she goes, and I've decided that we're going to do it because she thought it was important. And I'm like, uh, now looking back, I'm like, of course, and it should be necessary and it shouldn't be an optional thing. And I remember in sixth grade, I, from, I grew up in San Diego. 
So from San Diego to LA, we took a field trip. We drove up to the Museum of Tolerance, which was about the Holocaust and what had happened. And that was also the same year that like Saving Private Ryan came out in theaters. Right? I talked about that earlier. So like I learned a lot in a visceral way about the, the real history of this world. And as I was learning about it, I was also reading comics and connecting with Marvel Comics and learned like, oh my God, they made Magneto a Jewish Holocaust survivor. What a powerful, how can you not think that that is so beautiful and tragic? And when you hear that for a villain motivation, when a villain says, I'm going to destroy humanity and every other story, you're like, roll your eyes. I've seen it a million times. Great. They did this in Despicable Me. Great. Who cares? Like, this is stupid. But when that character goes, because I'm a survivor of the Holocaust and I've seen what humanity's capable of, you go, well, you're right. You can't <laughs> argue that. You know, you, you can't do that. So I truly love that aspect of Magneto's character. I would hope that, and, and, and the opening of the first X-Men movie is like the best part of any mm-hmm of the X-Men movies. And that happened in 2000 and it was the, you know, a, a big franchise movie. And the fact that they did it, I thought was really great. And it, and it was just very brief. And I think it was easy enough for kids to understand without having to like, you know, the first X-Men movie is not Schindler's list. It's not going to show you what actually happened there, but I've read comic books that have moved me to tears that dealt with Magneto like a book called Magneto Testament, which I think is fantastic, where it, it, because comic books can do that, they can, they can just be, okay, here's five issues and here's Magneto's childhood. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't interrupt a big movie studio or whatever. So, so I just have a connection to that character in that way. And I think that if you were to update that, again, it's completely valid to be like, now he's a survivor of another genocide or atrocity. I'm not going to say that that's not, that that shouldn't be a part of the movie or the character or whatever. But I do feel like it helped me as a child understand what happened. And then it also helped me understand like that it was part of the history of anti-Semitism. And then unfortunately the current state of anti-Semitism is all kind of, you know, we're, we're dealing with people today that will still deny it. So I'm like, so maybe if the biggest franchise in the world did decide to remake, redo some of these characters. And then they did decide to be like, but Magneto is still from World War II and he is Jewish and he's a Holocaust survivor. Maybe it would prevent a little bit of ignorance from still propagating in the world, maybe. But again, if they decided to go another route, that would also prevent ignorance. Just as long as that aspect of a character who survived an atrocity, you know, as part of their background, I think would still be... um, it's still it's still powerful either way, but I've got faith, and so that's a great question. And thanks for letting me answer it because I thought a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a perfect way to end. We've been going for about ninety minutes. Uh, Hector, plug all your stuff. Where can where can everyone find you? Uh, follow me online at Hector is funny, and check out the YouTube channel Heroes Reforged if you would like to. I'd really appreciate it. And everybody, stay safe. And wherever you are in the world, if it's winter time. Like it is in LA right now and it's rainy. Stay safe, I guess. <laughs> stay warm. <laughs> stay warm, stay dry. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is a oh, real totally. blast. This, this is great. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Really appreciate uh, it. Ashton, you can plug your stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, stream on Twitch sometimes. Um, starting to stream a little bit more. Um, often with my friends, uh, I have a Monday night Twitch stream with the Blunder Dome and with Templin Institute. Uh, mine is Yeti Boatman is the name of my stream. We've been playing Vermintide on Mondays and then, uh, 
we do this on Fridays, and then I think I'm going to be on Tuesdays doing my own stream. So, yeah. Molly? Uh, I am at Molly Damon on Twitter and Twitch, and you can check out the Schmodown, and the, the draft is tonight, actually, in like 30 minutes. And so if you want to check that out and see what faction I end up on, because I don't know, <laughs> uh, you can check that out. My first match is February 19th against Laura Kelly. Um, and yeah, I'm over on Star Wars Explained, too, talking about yeah. Star Wars <laughs> stuff. I assume you already know about Star Wars Explained if you follow us here, but that's our YouTube channel and you can follow us at Star Wars Explained as well. And Hector, I would have let us keep going and going if we didn't have to do the Schmodown draft in a little bit, but this was this was so much fun. Thank you for being very first guest on our on our show here. I'm honored. I so appreciate it. I love what you guys do. Let's continue the positivity. And yeah, next time you have me on, we'll have to do a four-hour sesh. And I'm apologizing in advance because I will ramble. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> That's kind of the awesome. concept of this show. It's called Explain It to Me. We're here to listen and learn. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we wanted. So uh, thank you all so much for watching. Uh, check everyone out. Check out uh, Heroes Reforged, which Rain Man I saw put in the chat. Thanks, Rain Man. Thank and uh, we will see you guys next time.